I got my feelings hurt. I'm leaving. Today is Friday, May 28th, 2021. Time for episode 147 of the Barnhart Podcast. There is a prophecy about two moons in the month of May preceding something calamitous, but we're doing two podcasts in the month of May. Is that? And lo, the sixth seal was broken. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> yeah, it's been unusual in the last sequence of podcasts that we have uh, more than one or two in a row that uh, uh, that is just uh, Anne and Super Nerd. Although I have to admit that the stuff with, with Nurse Claire and uh, Dr. Matza has been incredible. And I also yeah. have seen on the, um, the, the Barnhart Romper Room channel that we have that Nurse Claire has got a whole bunch of more podcast information that she's going to share before long that... It kind of makes my skin crawl because I I know it's the truth really needs to be shared. But at the same time, it's so freaking scary. It's like, what the heck are they trying to do to us? I don't know. In in the end, her immaculate heart will triumph. But in between now and then, some really weird Mm -hmm. things are going to happen. Yeah, I put a bug in her ear just a few hours ago that if she can, we (laughs) she's got enough new information yet again that we could probably record another uh, another podcast episode with her this coming week. So be on the lookout for that. It may be a podcast-rich week as we're coming up here. I do want to address some, some uh, feedback that we've gotten to the podcast. I know we get a lot of emails and feedback, and I don't always do a good job of addressing that. Um, one of the interesting emails that, that came in, um, I am the, the the emailer writes. I am struggling whether I should receive communion from a deacon. I attend a Novus Ordo Mass during the week and travel to a Tridentine Mass on Sunday. Uh, our our church for the Novus Ordo is constructed in such a way that it makes it impossible to follow the priest for reception and communion. You would literally have to leave the building and run to the other side to make it to the priest. I okay. To me, this this is kind of a. I, I don't get the question. The person is isn't sure about receiving from a deacon now. Granted, the person did say they're talking about a Novus Ordo Mass, so this could be an extraordinary... Is there such a thing as an extraordinary deacon? I don't even know. No. the They're probably talking about a permanent deacon because that's generally what there is hanging around Novus Ordo Masses. The, the short answer to this is it's very simple. Yes, you can receive Holy Communion from a deacon. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, hold on. Wait, wait. What, what's a permanent deacon? I, I, I only understand deacon as being the final step before becoming a priest. And ext- it's extraordinarily rare in my understanding that somebody hits deacon and then doesn't go any further. Right. They they rebooted it in the name of going back to the, you know, going back to the early days of the church with, of course, no understanding of it whatsoever and completely twisting it. Um so now these permanent deacons are almost always older married men who have gone through some <laughs> gone through some weekend classes or some I mean it, the formation yeah it's it's more than just a few weekend classes but I mean come on most most of them are married most of them are um there's no other way to say it they're married and they're sexually active which is just enormously problematic. We've talked about that before with regards to priestly celibacy. They have no clue that the discipline of the church from time immemorial, from day one, was that deacons, if they were married, they observed, they had to observe perfect perpetual continence, um, which means 
if you're married, you and your wife together come to the come to the decision together that you are never, ever, ever going to have sex again, to put it in the blunt in the most blunt possible terms. Perfect perpetual continence. The notion of a sexually active man being on the altar is just is up until just a few decades ago, everybody understood that this was completely it just it was just so out out of bounds and outer limits that it that it was impossible. So you have I mean you've got the most famous deacon in in the church is basically Saint Lawrence of Rome. Just huge, 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 huge. Um I don't know here's something for the listenership and all of us to look up. I don't know if there was ever any intention for Saint Lawrence to be ordained a priest or if he was just or if he was in fact a permanent deacon in the sense that he the intention was just for him to stay a deacon i i and not offer the mass i don't know um but yeah like i said the whole the whole thing was is that these men were either celibate unmarried or if they were married they were they entered into a state of perfect perpetual continence um mutually mutual decision with their wives obviously um, but yeah, today in the Novus Ordo thing, I think what the permanent diaconate in the Novus Ordo, what that was all about, what the objective of all of that was, was by the infiltrators to get people conditioned and used to the idea that there were sexually active men on the altar. Now, the thing that's interesting and, um, those of you those of you who have tratted and have seen been through the Novus Ordo and know what a Novus Ordo mass looks like um the thing that's interesting about all this is what what, what does a deacon even do i mean it, liturgically in the Novus Ordo what does he even do i was about to answer that until you said in the Novus Ordo but cuz i was going to say they they can um they can bless things in, in at least in no. the traditional my and they can again this is my traditional understanding of thing they can they can bless things but not people they can preach right. the gospel they can they can give the sermon they can distribute communion and of course they can assist the priest and I, in in terms of talking about this in, in the novus ordo I, I i understand that one of the tendencies in the novus ordo is to go back to this antiquarianism which by the way is a condemned heresy if you look that up it, by name oh. um if it, to go back to the idea that deacons are nothing more than helpers, and yes, in Greek the term diakonos means helper. But when Saint Jerome and the other Latin language clerics brought ling- brought words in from Greek, it's not that they didn't have a word for helper in Latin. It's called adjuvant or or, or adjuvare. It's it's something like like that. Kind of like if you talk mm. about vaccines, adjuvant. It's a helper. Adjuvant. Yeah. They they have that word in Latin. So why did they bring the word deacon in? It's because those words that were brought in from from Greek or from Hebrew that also existed in Latin were brought in specifically to denote them in a liturgical context. A deacon ah. is a liturgical helper as opposed to right. just somebody who's helping because they're not fully qualified, they're not even they're, they're not even a junior assistant. They a deacon is a in Latin, a deacon is a set aside clerical role that is so far different than the word diakonos in Greek as to be, you know, the difference between lightning and lightning bug. Wow, okay. 
and it makes sense. I mean, anybody who knows who knows the solemn the solemn high mass, I mean, there's the priest, the deacon, and the subdeacon, and you know, during the whole time you're pointing, you can point and say that dude right there, he's the deacon, and that guy right there, he's the subdeacon, and it's everybody has clearly defined roles, and it's easy to see exactly who everyone is, and the deacon. The deacon chants the gospel and da 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 da. And <laughs> I was talking to a priest the other day, and we were we were joking about you know uh, Bergoglio and all of these made up, you know what is he what is he made up now? He's made up the uh, a Novus Ordo, a quote unquote office of acolyte lector. Oh, and the new one now is catechist. That's what we were joking about. I, I, we were joking about the fact that I'm going to be ordained a catechist, and that I expect to then be able to, to preach from the from, <laughs> preach from the pulpit in the church. <laughs> and th th then he said, "Well, you know, eventually, of course, you'll, <laughs> we're, we're just we're very close to you being able to be ordained. You, you being able to be ordained a deacon." And then he said, "I look forward to you chanting the gospel." <laughs> and a hearty laugh. And I think I probably made some snarky comment about um, cor correcting the pronunciation of the Holy Father at the Teijder if needed, and all that. You know. So. <laughs> well, I'm confused now. We laugh because it's pretty much all you can do. Is is an ordained catechist above or below a director of religious education? Oh, that well, there's a question for you. Oh boy, uh, I, I'm going to say above. I'm going to go ahead and say I'm going to say liturgically above, but in real life on the ground, you know, you know that laywoman Karen Dre. You know she, you know she's running everything basically. So, yeah, don't cross her. So liturgically above, uh, chronologically below, and they're definitely in terms of horsepower below. Uh. <laughs> horsepower <laughs> indeed indeed so yeah but back back to the question yes actually it is it it's one of the roles of the deacon um to be able to distribute holy communion and um you know in his in his role as the helper back in the day one of the things that the deacons did is they um went and made house calls with the blessed sacrament that was that was one of their jobs so and deacons um when a man is ordained a transitional deacon what that means meaning a seminarian who's you know on the track to be ordained a priest um if if you are ordained a transitional deacon that means legally within church law that you are owed by the church ordination to the priesthood. So ordination to the transitional diaconate is a very, very, very big deal. And if they're and if they're going to toss uh, a guy from seminary, um, they have to or really, really, really should. Um, do it before they ordain him a deacon. So if you get ordained a deacon, legally, you're owed ordination to the priesthood. Um, so, well, it's a it's a permanent vow as opposed to yes. I don't remember off the top of my head of subdeacon is a non permanent vow. 
it's, it's subdeacon is the lowest of the major orders, but I yes. don't think it's permanent. I think deacon is the one where if you get ordained deacon, but you don't get ordained priest, it requires an appeal to Rome to actually yeah. release you from your vows, as opposed to if you're a subdeacon, yeah, right. just the local ordinary or maybe even the, the rector of the seminary can dispense you of your ba- vows and you can go out and get married at that point if, you, if, if that's your calling. Right. So it, it's a big deal if they ordain a guy a deacon and then for whatever reason hold him in limbo and don't ordain him and don't ordain him and don't ordain him for years. And there was a case of it. There was one, I think it was over in Italy, where the some guy got held in the diaconate for like eight years or something. And uh, it was it was unjust and it required all kinds of legal attention. It was a very big deal. You just, you can't do that. The diaconate is a big, big deal, which by looking at the Novus Ordo and permanent deacons, you'd never know it. You, you'd think by, by a lot of these guys, a lot of them still um, keep full-time secular jobs, you know, they're in their 40s, 50s, whatever, and it's something that, this is something that they do like on the weekends, and it's it's really inappropriate, if you ask me. And I think it's something that was done by the infiltrators to get people used to this Protestantized idea that, you know, that this is all just something um, that major orders, that, that, that holy orders is just something that you, you do on the weekends and it's just no big deal. And I mean, I'm all in favor of, of priests having, you know, um, the ability to earn a living outside of the church. I mean, St. Paul was a tent maker, you know, so I I don't have a problem with that, but the whole notion of just devolving the whole thing and what they want to do eventually is just turn the priesthood into that. They want to have a bunch of, of women. They want to have a bunch of Karens basically running the parishes, running the church. And then the priest is somebody who comes in on Sundays and says the mass and, and basically that's it. Um, and that's what they're ultimately trying to get it conditioned to very, very much like the Protestant clergy, you know, it's, it's a job that, that requires a man's attention for about five hours a week on Sunday. And that's it. That's what they want. Um, so I, I, I'm not a fan of the, the Novus Ordo modern permanent diaconate, but in answer to the question, yes, deacons part of their part of their job since the very beginning since scripture was to take the eucharist around to people so yes they can handle they can distribute it's 100% included in their charism yes well in like i already said uh, a couple of times my my um view on this is coming strictly from strictly from tradition and it was not unusual that during the summer or other times when the the seminarians came down uh from the seminary and 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 were helping out of the parish or doing their equivalent to summer cruise when i was in the navy we always had the midshipmen from the naval academy coming around to all the ships and doing their 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 summer cruise going out and and learning what happens in the fleet and my understanding was that pretty much most of the traditional seminaries you have the seminarians dispersing around to help out a different uh, parishes around the world and invariably there would be a deacon showing up during the summer and they would preach they would uh, distribute communion and they would help out in other ways that are right below what a priest could do they're not going to hear your confession they're not going to bless people they could baptize i think 
Yes, they can baptize. Well, anybody can baptize, but I don't recall off the top of my head if they were barred from doing a liturgical baptism because that involves blessing a person. I'm sure I'll be corrected 15 ways to Sunday on this one, but I think it, I sure think they, they could. Baptize, and I'm pretty sure they can they can um, do funerals as well. I wouldn't be surprised if they could do weddings too, but I'm not sure. Mm, yes. Well, that might be true as well. Yep. Except they're well, because you're just the the clergyman is just a witness at, yes, at a wedding. But the, but the I'm gonna say priest in this case, but the priest hearing or witnessing the wedding is giving a blessing, and it's the blessing of the mm. church to a human being. So that seems. I, I know I'm going to get corrected on this one, but it's, it seems to me because deacons are not supposed to bless humans that uh, I don't think that's something they should be doing. They, there's probably an indult for it. It's an interesting question, the diaconate, and they they can do. I think they can do a lot more than people than people realize. So, yeah, it's it's a non-trivial it's a non-trivial um, office and order in the church, and. Uh, after the triumph of the Immaculate Heart, we'll all be restored. Yeah, and, and people shouldn't just be willy-nilly elevated to this level or or uh, promoted to it, whether no. it's effective or not. I mean, well, in in the case of if they're trying to make women deacons, that's obviously not possible. It's metaphysically not it's possible. It's not possible, yep. But it's, yeah, it's probably going to be happening sooner than later in terms of uh, the anti-church within the yeah. physical construct of the church. Uh, yep. Golly, God save us. Do we have another topic to go to? <laughs> how, how about um, how about something happier? I, I I know that where I live, we're we're about ready to uh lift the mask mandate in the next uh let's see, it's almost the end of May. So we're almost we're gonna have the mask mandate lifted officially, which means we can go out to dinner without masks and all the rest. And I heard from a little bird that you had an interesting story about dinner. Well, it didn't it didn't involve masks. So where I am, um almost everyone is still wearing them walking around outside on the streets and you can't go inside anywhere. But um that but uh, dining, outdoor dining has has begun and I think that indoor dining is set to begin here the 1st of June if I'm not mistaken. But um so I'm I'm out the other night and a new restaurant has opened up, and I'm I'm intrigued by this. I'm intrigued by anything that would that would be opening up a restaurant that would be opening up new now. Okay, this is this is like a I don't know. It's like seeing a five legged calf or something like this. Like what's going on here? So, um, long story short, one of the routes that I take to get to Mass. Um, I kind of skirt slash minorly walk through a neighborhood that has a lot of ritzy um, like fashion designer stores and all this. And so this place opens and it's kind of on the edge, the the skirts of this of this neighborhood. And it's not too far from the parish that I go to. And what it, like I said, one of my routes to get to the to get to the parish kind of walks past through and past this. So I see this place and so I, I, I try this, looked at the menu, looked great. The decor looked beautiful. So I'm, I'm going to try this. I'll sit outside and, and oh, the thing that they have that's just killer if you never had it. And it's a perfect light, um, light dinner. If you ever see on a menu any, anywhere that they have that Spanish um, Iberian ham 
oh my goodness, that stuff is just like butter. It's incredible. Highly recommend it. Absolutely delicious, special, super yummy treat if you get the chance. So they've got this. So I was like, okay, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to get the, I'm going to order this um, Spanish ham and, and have that for dinner. So I'm sitting in there. Okay. And I'm by myself. So I'm kind of sitting like back in the corner. I can see, I can see everybody who's seated. Um, and it's outside. They have this covered terrace thing. Okay. So I'm sitting there and I'm eating my Spanish ham and I'm enjoying it very, very much. And I look around this restaurant. And like I said, it's kind of in, in this area where there's a lot of these fashion designer stores, you know, and I look and I realize I am by far the most beautiful woman in this restaurant. Now, the listenership is saying, here we go. Barnhart has finally lost the plot. She's finally lost her mind. Descending into the depths of narcissism, this woman has no self-awareness. She's lost it. She's out of her gourd. She's sitting in the middle of a restaurant filled with people who are coming out of a fashion designer district, and she honestly thinks she was the most beautiful woman in the restaurant. Stay with me, okay? Stay with me, because believe me, this, this has a point and a, and a twist. The reason I say, without any hesitation, that I was the most beautiful woman in this restaurant is because every other woman in the place, both young women and older women, they were all mutilated in their faces. They all had lip injections. They all had plastic surgery. They all look like monsters, monsters. Okay, so I'm not flattering myself. Wait, was in, this in was any this way. was this surgery that was done during the the lockdowns because people wouldn't see the two weeks of bruising and the another four uh, weeks it, of recovery, or is this it's, just? It's possible, but I think it's more about just these people's lifestyle. But yeah, you bring up a good point. I think a lot of people who are in that world availed themselves of the opportunity during the lockdown to go and get these horrible, evil procedures done. That's a really good point. But I mean, that's just who these people are. Um, And so... I'm sitting there and it that just that hits me like a ton of bricks because it's just so wrong because there's girls in there who are in their 20s, but they they look like um, what do they call it? They look like fish uh, trout pout. They all they all have these trout pouts that they've had. You know, I don't even know what it is that they inject into their lips and even younger, younger gals just look like monsters. And I'm sitting there thinking I wish every woman in the world could be sitting here where I'm sitting right now and see this and realize how utterly backwards, messed up, disordered the so-called fashion milieu and paradigm is in this world and how these people are literally horrifically mutilated monsters and this is what this this culture and this group of people is what is supposed to be beauty it it was such a a stunning um commentary on just the inversion how inverted everything is 
it was um it was a really remarkable thing and just a searing commentary on on this world and how upside down everything is so that's my story about being being the most beautiful woman in the restaurant not not a good thing not a good feeling when you realize oh dear oh something is just terribly terribly wrong with this world not that we didn't know that before but it really brought it home it was it was quite amazing so we're about the same age i'm in my mid 40s or so and the, the one of the takeaways I, I got from listening to that is that I am glad I'm not single because if yeah I understand what you mean by trout pout I've seen some I, th- I thought it was called duck lips or something like that but yeah that too yep. <laughs> I, I've seen that that apparently it's like a, an attractive thing that or popular I don't know if it's attractive it's supposed to be a popular thing you do on Instagram where you take a picture of yourself making duck lips or something oh yeah that yeah yeah. Well, how is, stupid is, is that? I mean, I, I don't know what they're thinking because the ones who haven't had it done, how, how can they not look at the ones who have had this done and not see just how spectacularly horrible it looks? And then you're, what you're you're in your 20s and you're so messed up that you look at yourself in the mirror and you say, I need I need to go mutilate my face. Now we've talked about plastic surgery in the context of uh, like male politicians. Good grief. Who who is it? John Kerry. John Kerry's kind of back in the news, you know, he's I don't know his the fact that he's been committing treason with Iran and is running around doing this that and the other. John Kerry looks exactly like if anybody knows anything about Star Trek, he know, he looks exactly like Security Chief Odo on Deep Space Nine. I mean, the guy the the guy's face is just an absolute monstrosity, and he had all that done um, when he was what would he have been running for president, getting ready to run for president? I don't remember the timeline. But he he shows up one day, or he was Secretary of State, wasn't he? He was Secretary of State under in the Obama regime, right? Well, after, after so, Hillary quit, after Hillary quit, so she could run for president in twenty sixteen. Is that right? Yeah, because Hillary was the Secretary of State initially. Hillary was like, when was he the Secretary of State? I thought he was at the in the second term because Hillary. Was Secretary of State when uh, Ambassador Stevens was killed in uh, in Libya in twenty right. eleven, and then right. Watermelon Head was was Secretary of State during the second term. Okay, okay. So he's he's in this he's in he's in office. He's in the cabinet. He shows up one day and he has two completely black eyes. Like Mike Tyson has punched him as hard as he can in both eyes. Which, let's be honest, and most politicians deserve. Which most politicians deserve. Amen. However, would that it were that John Kerry had been had the crap beat out of him by Mike Tyson. Alas, no. He lies and says that he fell playing, what was it, like... Um, roller hockey or rollerblading or just just some spectacularly obvious lie 
the guy had had a complete facelift. That's that's um, one of the things that happens apparently when you get when you get a facelift is you get your your eyes black and you get two black eyes. So he's got the telltale facelift um, pair of black eyes lying through his teeth about it. Um, not only he he not only had a facelift, his his entire profile was changed. So he did something where he had his jaw reset. I mean, the, these people are insane. They're they're insane at, at what they're willing to do to mutilate their faces. I mean, so so that what John Kerry? So so what you can. Uh, apparently he thinks that he'll get to have sex with more 22 year old interns. If he, if he gets a facelift and gets his jaw reset, his thing is about going, going after richer women. So if Teresa Hines is not rich enough, then he's going after Oprah or something like that. But I don't think that's going to impress Oprah. Uh, No, I mean, and uh, Teresa Hines is a billionaire. I mean, what, what, what do you need? These people, the whole deal with um, self mutilation, you know, we've talked about this and it's it's absolutely 100 percent tied to diabolical narcissism. And of course, now within the last few years, with all the transvestite stuff and Bruce Jenner, I mean, transvestitism and, um, you know, like what Bruce Jenner has done running around men running around and drag and all this and the other way as well, women mutilating themselves and these girls going off to college, you know, parents will send their their 18-year-old daughter off to the state university and she'll come back the next spring and she's cut both of her breasts off and is taking drugs so that she's got a five o'clock shadow and da-da-da-da-da. I mean, th- this whole business of mutilating yourself, it's, it's such an indicator of profound, Profound, profound narcissism and and just being a complete spiritual cripple. And the fact that you can <laughs> that someone like me could actually just go sit down in a restaurant and have that sickening realization, you know, have that sickening realization that you're completely surrounded by these people. You're totally surrounded by it. Um, it was it was remarkable. It was a truly remarkable experience. And like I said, I wish that. I wish that so many women especially could have could have that experience and just realize what a what a filthy inverted evil fraud the whole quote unquote fashion and beauty industry is at this point it's just it's ridiculous Well I think you've made the point that the fashion and beauty beauty industry is run by people who aren't straight and so if Correct. you're if yeah. you're following that line of thinking um, going contrary to it is the healthy way to go. And I, I understand, I understand where you're coming from, where you say that looking around, you're the most beautiful woman there. The average, and, and this is, I don't know how to say, how to phrase this any other way. The average normal mainstream American person walking by probably wouldn't have come to the same conclusion, but they're not seeing the same thing you are. It's from the, from, from the point of view of the faith. Yeah. Are, are you being what you're supposed to be? Yeah. And how many people, well, especially the superficial people, all the people who are trying to be like the Kardashians and whatnot, or especially Bruce Kardashian or 
Bruce Jenner, whatever his name is. Um, <laughs> the, the people who are, are trying to be following whatever is the hip new, you know, modern thing. That's fake and fake is not attractive. Yeah. And so it does take a certain calibration of the eyes to realize what Anna's saying here in terms of beauty and God bless you if you understand it. And it is, it is the rare and precious human being who can see it. And Anymore, like I said, I'm glad I'm not single and having to navigate these waters at this point in time, because I think it'd be exhausting. Oh yeah. Uh, I, I feel terrible for, for on both sides. I feel, I feel terrible for, young ladies because there's so many boys are going gay and the ones who aren't gay are just, are just effeminate and, and losers. And there, there's just not much admirable there. And then a lot of men um, and young men, they've thrown up their hands with regards to the feminists and the feminism. And they've just said, you know what? I'm done. These chicks I'm, I'm not even going to bother. I'm not even going to try. I was talking to someone, um, a friend who has a, who has a 16 year old son and you know, the son is, is struggling in school, not only because of the masks and all of this insanity, but because half or more of the girls that he has to sit in class with are, are feminazis as he, as he himself calls them a 16 year old boy, they're feminazis. And they're constantly trying to goad him, to, to get him in trouble, to get him to lose his temper. And I, I, my advice was, you know what? Give them what they want. Completely, totally ignore them. Just act like they do not exist. Look right through them. Don't engage. Don't speak. Don't do anything. And you know what will really, really make those feminazi chicks angry? If you guys, if you young men, start treating the good girls like princesses, you know, go, go back, rock it old school, open doors. I mean, stand up when when somebody enters the room or joins the conference. I mean, I mean, lay lay it on and watch the feminazi girls lose their minds as they realize, oh my gosh. I could be treated like that, but instead I've chosen to go to war against these guys. And a lot of them have chosen to be sex pervents and be lesbians. Well, let them, let them stew in their own juices. You know, that, that's, that would be my advice to a young man today. Incredibly sad. So sad. That reminds me of a story by friend Colleen who wrote the book dressing with dignity told about her husband who was working at, um, I think it was IBM at the time that um, he was known for opening doors for women because when he got to the the front doors the, at, at the company there, he would, op if there was a woman coming, he would open the door for him for, for her, I should say. And, and, um, and one of these liberated women who knew this about him would intentionally speed walk to get to the door before him just so she didn't have to suffer the indignity of having somebody open the door before them for her how twisted and screwed yeah. up in the brain is somebody like that? Yep. And the other thing that they, comes to mind too is, to be, Oh God. It's ironic. They want to be treated as superior, but then when men do treat women 
in that sense as as superiors in a, in you know a certain sense you know opening doors standing just all these courtesy things they lose their minds so they're they're fighting against the very thing that they allegedly want it's it's right there but they've given it up and they want the uh, it's it's so inverted it can only be it can only be luciferian it's a double inversion because the the idea is that the the feminist ideal is that women put themselves ahead of men but they then also reject the whole idea of men who are rightly ordered placing women ahead of them by giving right. them their place in line by giving them their seat by opening the door for them it, it's weird it, it's it's weird in a way that hurts my brain and it's like uh it's it's weird yeah and so and, that's my story about the restaurant it also I, makes me think about too that that in terms of if there's a normally right ordered young man who's trying to find um a, a good girl Probably, you know, I, I made the joke to a friend of mine who was in the Carmelites at one time, and and she um, found out that eventually her her vocation was not with the Carmelites. She left the order and and uh, got married. and And I said that it, when back when I was single, I thought about writing to the the mother mother superiors of, of the different orders and saying, you know, basically giving my my bona fides and my my CV and curricula vitae and saying I, I'm I'm a young man looking to marry a good wife. Um, here, here's my credentials and so on and so forth. And here's the priest you can talk to about it to verify all this. I'm looking for a good woman and ideally, or, or perhaps in, in, in my, my way of thinking, perhaps somebody who was serious enough to try to go after a, a cloistered, um, uh, way of life is the kind of person who might make a good wife. Could you let me know if somebody's, you know, washing out of that vocation, <laughs> And, and the, the the way this person said is that that what what probably would have happened had I actually wrote those letters is the mother priors would have gotten a very good laugh and then wrote me a letter saying I'll pray for you, and but but what I what in in terms of you know actual tactical thinking, um, if you're a young man looking for a good woman don't know where to find them, um, talk to the men in the parishes. I mean, we are protecting the the young women. <laughs> from people who aren't worthy and yeah. and we've got a keen eye out for them because we've got some that we're raising ourselves mm-hmm. and we we know who 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 the people are who are you know it, it may may not be my daughter but maybe some other people's daughters who are at that age where they're ready if if there were somebody available they would be willing uh to pursue the the the, the vocation of marriage but you know in in the weird state of things in this point in time, we're so dispersed uh, that there's not always somebody right in the same locality. I mean, I don't know about, but, but you where you are at the moment, but um, I went to a mar- I went to a wedding a, a, about a month ago. It was somebody who was from my local area who married somebody from like 300 miles away. And that's not uncommon. Yeah. yeah it, it's, it, it's the, it's the exception now, I think to find somebody and maybe I'm just thinking from my own locality bias, but I think it's the exception that you find somebody from right where you are. And in terms yeah. of wanting to find the right person, um, talk to the men because they're the ones who are, have the protective, protective mindset. I mean, if you're a young man, talk, talk to the, to the older men, to, to the fathers of families 
because they're the ones who are going to uh, bury you in a hole and nobody will ever find your body if you are not serious and, and, and virtuous. But if you are up to that standard, we will introduce you to everybody. Yeah. And it's kind of, it's sad that there's probably younger, if there are younger people listening to this right now, they probably hear something like that. Or, you know, people who are not in the trad milieu, they're listening to this and they're thinking, oh my gosh, that sounds like some guy just being a complete creeper and going into coffee hour and, and saying, I am available for mating and breeding. <laughs> I mean, it's, but you guys, it's, this is the way, this is the way everything happened for hundreds, thousands of years. This is the way that, that marriages largely were brokered. This whole notion of, you know, having to go on the internet or you've got some godforsaken app or whatever. I mean, this is, this is so wrong and so disordered. This is what super nerd just talked about was the paradigm of, of largely how young people would get matched off is, um, you know, the older people in the community would say, well, you know, he, he would be good for her and she would be good for him and, and, you know, things like that. So, um, the notion that, that young people are completely and totally detached from the anchor of their family, from the anchor of their parents, from the anchor of their community in terms of trying to go out, negotiate and find a spouse this is something that's new since the 1960s, basically. Um, I mean, even you can look at old sitcoms and uh, like old episodes of the Mickey Mouse Club and those those serials that were focusing on, you know, high school aged kids, and it was it was all about the community and and going over to people's houses and people would have dances at their houses and dinner parties for kids and I mean it was. They were they were really going out of their way. Adults were to to help to help people, young people get together and eventually match off. There's a there's an episode of the of Leave It to Beaver, where the, he has to go to a dance, and he's he, you know Beaver is like in in I don't even know like fourth or fifth grade, and they would have dances, and those kids had to dance with each other boys in suits, girls in party dresses, and they would learn how to um, basically ballroom, you know, ballroom type dances. Little kids, they would they would start this business of getting these kids together. Even if you were in a sex separated school, they would have social things to get the kids together with parental and, you know, adult supervision, of course. Um, chaperoning and all that. The, the way we live now and the way people are are expected, and now, obviously, with Corona scam, just takes it to a whole nother level. You know, how, how, are, how are young people supposed to even meet? Um, and the answer is, sadly, it's, the, I, I guess, the powers that be want basically everyone to, to stop breeding and that all... Um, all sexual activity in the future, in the minds of these Satanists, um, all sexual activity would be outside of marriage and would be basically anonymous for all intents and purposes. I think that's what they're driving toward. So it, it <laughs> look at that and say, okay, what is the opposite of that? And the opposite of that is, is that your parents, your grandparents, your community, 
everyone around you is kind of helping to steer you in the right direction and helping you to to young people to meet each other. So don't don't be put off by that thought of some young man announcing that he's available for courtship, you know, in the parish hall. Don't think that that's being a creeper. It's not. It's it's just it's so radically far afield from modernism that it looks like something disordered, but it isn't at all. At the same time, it's a little bit gauche. And and, and if you are the young man who is thinking about going to the parish hall after mass and just making a general announcement, why don't you find some of the um, elder statesmen of, of the parish, some of some of the right. some of the you know fathers and patriarchs of families, and and talk to them first? It in the way you said that kind of reminds me of of the um, uh, Richard Burton uh, version of Taming of the Shrew, where he shows up and says, "I'm looking to wive and thrive," and <laughs> and they set him up with the Elizabeth don't do Elizabeth don't Taylor version. <laughs> Is that a sh- is that the title? I'm looking to wive and thrive. <laughs> it's a candidate. Episode 147, wive and thrive. <laughs> Goodness. Oh. Uh, I'm writing that one down. Okay. <laughs> no, that's not the way to do it. But um, okay. but the but the men of the parish, the 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 the, the men who are who are fathers of family who have daughters to protect and I may or may not be kidding in that they may kill you if you come about it with in the wrong ways. Um, (laughs) you know, find out on your own, but, um, just, just talk to them and, and, and make, and and, well, and talk to the priest too. I mean, that that's probably the best way to go about it. Start with there or just, and, and talk to the priest first off about your vocation, whether or not it really is to be married. Um, maybe mm-hmm. you'd have a different vocation. Maybe they, they're going to steer you toward uh, a monastic life. Maybe, maybe a lay brother, maybe, maybe you're called to be a priest. I don't know. Um, and if you do have a calling to that, um, this, this is something that came up in the, in the last week, um, talking about the idea of hearing whether or not God is talking to you. You've got to embrace silence. The whole idea of, hey, I, I, I'm asking God a question, but and I want an answer, but you won't shut up and and listen to hear if God is, is giving you an answer. It, mm-hmm. it it's not just it's not just outwardly. I, I've made the comment before that you know, I listen to a lot of audiobooks and podcasts and I've got a lot of professional pursuits and whatnot. There is a definite requirement for silence. In the same sense that in the spiritual life, you've got to have fasting. And we tend to think of this only in terms of food or abstaining from physical things. This also pertains to the intellectual. It pertains to anything that is coming in through the senses. And if you are seeking an answer from God about something, anything, important things, it's more important that you embrace silence because God does not yell his answers. Right. God yep. speaks to you in the silence of your heart. And I cannot remember for the life of me where I heard this. I pro- well, I'm probably heard it on, on an Ignatian retreat, to be honest. But I don't remember if this is St. Francis of Sales or if it's St. Ignatius or if it's St. John of the Cross. It was one of those people whose name begins with ST. I know that for certain. Mm-hmm. God speaks to you in the silence of your heart. So if you've got a question about something, whether it's the state of the church, where you're supposed to be, Embrace silence, do penance, 
it's like the desert fathers. They went out to the, de- the, the, the desert, yes, to do penance for their own sins, but also to practice that silence so they could hear what God was saying to them. It's like if you're an astronomer. If you're, if you're an astronomer in New York City, you ain't going to see anything in the, in the night sky. You've got to go mm-hmm. out way past Poughkeepsie, up to, up, to, up to North State, up where they don't have much electricity, where there are no people, where the, mm-hmm. dark, where, where the, where the night sky is dark. Mm. And when you when you have that situation, you can see the stars. And if you've ever been to sea, and I've had this opportunity in my life, if you've ever been out hundreds of miles offshore at night, you see stars and constellations you never would have seen otherwise. And oh, the yeah. spiritual life is like that. When you yep. practice silence, and not just outwardly where you don't say anything, but even inwardly where you're inner voice is silent you're going to hear things you've never heard before Mm -hmm. and it it, it, for me for me um one of those points of silence it isn't it isn't when you're it's not when i'm completely totally inwardly silent but it's sitting quietly in front of the tabernacle and praying the rosary or in front of the the blessed sacrament exposed um that that is a subset of silence. I think super nerds talking about even beyond that where you aren't even you aren't even doing that. Um, I think that that inward silence can be also when you're doing something like you're in the shower and your mind is just blank or you're driving, driving distance, turn off the radio, all of that sort of thing. but the 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 quote unquote silence, of just sitting and praying the rosary. In my experience, that's some of the best thinking time. And yes, our Lord does not roll in with a PowerPoint presentation. And if you think that that's how it's going to work, um, you're probably going to be disappointed. Um, it's, it's, that's just not how, how it works. And, and being resentful of him because he doesn't roll in with a PowerPoint presentation. I mean, come on. What what do you want? Do you want to be just a, a drone, a little chess man that God is moving around on the chessboard? No. The part, we have free will. The reason we have free will is because that's the only way you can love. That's the only way you can love anyone else. It's the only way you can love him. And so if he were just, you know, rolling in with PowerPoint presentations and telling you, do this, do this, do this, do this, and not, and you not exercising your will and you not coming to think to these things by themselves, what would that make you? We'd all just be, we'd be robots. That's ridiculous. So, and boy, I really love your, uh, your analogy about darkness and all that. You know, the, the, the big thing about darkness and um, you can't see the stars until you get out of town. The, one of the coolest things is, um, I would go up and, and occasionally camp up in, in Colorado, up in the mountains, up in the National Forest. And when you get out there, and it is, I mean, it is dark. And what you can see, which is just completely delightful, is you can be laying there looking up, looking up at the sky, and you'll see the man-made satellites go over the top. And there's a bunch of them. There's a bunch of, bunch of satellites going uh, you know, circling the earth, obviously. Even more and now, thanks to Elon things. Musk, but yeah. Say again? Even more now, thanks to Elon Musk. Oh, even more, but yeah. But I mean, j- just to see that, you can see the Milky Way, you can see 
the beauty of God's creation, but now we're even to the point where, and I do think this is a benefit. I think this is cool that we can see the beauty of God's creation, but you can also see it, you know, human beings getting their acts together and doing something cool, like, like getting satellites into orbit. And there they are zipping, zipping across the sky. That, that really delighted me too, seeing that, but you've, you've got to get out. You've got to get way, way out of town into the dark, dark, dark before you can see, you can see the satellites. But when you see them, it's a, it's a absolute joy. At least it was to me. So it reminds me of an urban legend. Uh, maybe it was truth. I don't know. But apparently there was a blackout in Los Angeles and people were calling on their cell phones, I guess, 911 reporting strange lights in the sky. These people for the first time were seeing the Milky Way. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I, again, I don't yep. know if this was a joke, an urban legend, or if it was truth, but in some place like Los Angeles, uh, unless you had a general blackout, you would never see that. And, and like I said, yeah. I'd, oh, yeah. in my time in the Navy, we didn't have to go that far off off the coast of California to to be in complete black darkness at night, and and you you'd see mm-hmm. stars and see see patterns in the sky that you would never see otherwise. And granted I was, I was a navigator. So that was actually part of my job to look at the sky and try to catalog and see all the stars and everything and do navigation according to all that. But it still, it was, it was impressive that you could just see so much more out there. And it really, unless you've been there, you can't describe it. Yeah. I dare say most most children today have probably never seen the Milky Way because most children today live in close enough to suburbia that there's enough light pollution where they are that they haven't seen it. Or if they have seen it, it's on YouTube. Yeah, yeah. Which, you know, YouTube is wonderful for a lot of things. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you, you can learn how to do plumbing and, and tasks around your house. You can learn how to disassemble and reassemble um things like uh, dehumidifiers um, or do electrical work, but it's not really a replacement for things like seeing the cosmos. Yeah. (laughs) Although having said that, uh, um, I've been binge watching, um, I've been binge watching cosmology and um, physics YouTube videos. So there's a, there's one channel and this physics professor has the most soothing, relaxing voice I think I've ever heard. And he ha- he puts together these absolutely fantastic oh, show notes. We'll put this in the show notes, this YouTube channel. He puts together these really, really good, high quality, um, you know, cosmology and, and physics presentations all the way from quantum physics, all the way up to, you know, the universal scale stuff. And, um, he he plays the most beautiful classical music behind it and you know you've got all these beautiful images especially when talking about the the macro scale stuff obviously of galaxies and just, and it's it's simultaneously fascinating and because he has such a lovely lovely soothing voice it's a it's a really good thing to listen to i find um when it's time to go to bed and you know it's time to wind down so We'll put that in the show notes, just that YouTube channel. As with all that physics stuff, I mean, obviously the 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 perspective about our Lord and creation and all those things, some things that are said have to be taken with a grain of salt, but um uh, mostly it's um it's pretty solid stuff. And there's some really interesting, 
interesting points, I, especially I think apparently what's happening is um, quantum physics. They've gotten down to the point where they they've gotten down into subatomic particles that, <laughs> and they're all freaking out um, that there isn't any matter. It just these particles are so small that they just dissolve into a weight into a waveform like light is you know like light is it's photons and sometimes it acts like a particle and sometimes it acts like a wave apparently they've now with quantum physics gotten down to the level where they're finding that that's the case with just matter and they're all freaking out and i'm just like no no that's nothing to freak out about that's that's probably the level on which transubstantiation is, for example, is taking place, is down on that waveform level where you get down to where things are just so incredibly small that there isn't even any physical substance there anymore. I would disagree with that. I would disagree with that from the simple perspective that transubstantiation is a supernatural event. So what is happening is something that cannot be captured by the senses. And, what sure. you were talking about with the subatomic particles, what came to mind to me is some of the stories I've heard about angelic apparitions. So, for example, one of the stories that comes up to, to mind from a sermon I heard once was uh, there, there was a family at a, at a base, you know, minor league baseball game. And uh, there, there are, you know, it's it's a, you know, rural Pennsylvania uh, minor league baseball game. There's maybe uh, a couple thousand people in the stands and some dude walks in at about the third inning or whatever it was. It was the game was already going on. He was he was a late arrival. Walks in and sits right in front of the family who was enjoying the game. And and the dad is like, what the heck is this guy's problem? He could have sat anywhere. Why does he sit right here? And about the time he's thinking this, there's this hundred mile an hour line drive foul ball right at the family. This guy reaches up with one hand, grabs it, hands it over and, and, and grabs it with with one hand, hands it back to them and says, well, I guess my job here is done. And then walks away. And the, the, the dad was like, what the heck just happened? And once he comes to his mm-hmm. senses, like, Hey, let me go thank that guy. And he was no more than 10 feet away, but he passed, goes around the corner. He's gone. And, yeah. and, and uh, the father of family talk, was, was talking to a priest, the priest who was given the sermon and, and, um, and relaying the story. And he says, I think you might have actually seen an angelic apparition, to be honest. I mean, they were yeah. a good. They were a good Catholic family, and this was something. It was. It certainly protected the the kid who probably would have been beaten in the head with a, uh, let's say, a high energy foul ball. Mm-hmm. I mean, that the angels have the ability to manipulate matter. So yes. the the idea that um, you know, obviously, the, the human being when an angel takes the form of a human being, they're not really a human being. They're they're right. kind of doing like a super advanced form of claymation. They're just taking mm-hmm. what's available in the in the environment, and it could be in the subatomic or sub sub subatomic level, and forming things. And it probably walks, talks, looks, and acts like a human being to other human beings, but mm-hmm. an angel would know. And, and based on other observables, you might come to the conclusion something unusual just happened. That's what came to mind when you were describing the idea of sub-subatomic kind of things. I think when it comes to transubstantiation, it's the, we're talking about a level so far above you know, matter that matter doesn't matter. Well, but the, I mean, the church has always taught that no matter how much you put 
um, a consecrated host, for example, under a, an optical microscope or a scanning electron mic right, microscope. It's always going to look like and have the accidents of bread in the case of the host. Um, right. And the miracles are when it doesn't. Yes. But it's also been said by numerous saints that the greater miracle is that the, that the host after the point of transubstantiation isn't so blindingly radiant that it blinds us all. It, yeah, it's like the, the veil. It's, it's like the greater miracle during Christ's life is that he wasn't, um, he, he wasn't in that transformed glorified state the whole time. He only looked like a carpenter. Yeah. That the transfiguration, that was the one time where he suspended the miracle. Mm-hmm. He pulled, the veil was pulled back. Exactly. And I'm so glad that you brought that up about the angelic, um, angelic apparitions, because that speaks directly to, to things that are going on, you know, current events, especially in Trattyland right now with this whole thing about, about UFOs and, um, you know, the, the angels can have apparitions and they can appear and it works on the other side. The the apostate angels have the same capability. And so there's a lot of people, the the government is now just all of a sudden talking almost nonstop about UFOs. And man, do I ever smell a rat with that. That's about, that's one of the most transparent um, scams, I think, that we've seen in a, in a very long time. And, and I say that in the context of the Corona scam, this UFO thing is just such, such an obvious scam and something's up and the government and the powers that be are, are up to no good. And something is afoot. Um, and people are getting berated because we, we believe as Catholics and we've been taught, I mean, there's nothing, super definitive on this the church is there's no papal bull on on ufos or anything like that but the the traditional teaching of the church is anything anything like that probably you're looking if it's if it's not man-made something or other and if it's not some sort of natural you know ball lightning or then there are things like that if it's not methane gas collection glowing etc cetera, etc cetera, if there really is something going on up in the sky, assumption has always been that you're potentially looking at some sort of a demonic manifestation and people are being just berated and degraded and insulted and you're stupid and blah, 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 blah. Because yeah, I actually do believe that um, the apostate angels can manipulate um, appearances and can, and can, there can be apparitions and they can mess with people's minds and, and why wouldn't they, that would be, which is why I think this is the, the government and the powers that be, this would just be perfect for them to come out and make some lying announcement. We've made contact with aliens from another world. And I, I can promise you that if, and when they do in fact do this, that these little green men that they claim they're in contact with are going to have exactly the same agenda as Klaus Schwab and Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and all the rest of them. It's going to be it's going to be letter for letter exactly that. Oh, and Freemasonry too. 
you know, you guys can't join the the United Federation of Planets unless you all do this, 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 and this. You have to get rid of money and you have to stop using petroleum and blah, blah, blah. And it's, it's, it's such a transparent fraud. And good, solid Catholics are being, de- are being just hatefully degraded for saying, you know what, I think UFOs are, can very possibly be demons. And yes, in fact, I do believe that we are alone in the universe. And I do, in fact, believe that Jesus Christ incarnated as a man, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, seems pretty exclusive to me. Um, so um, if if the, the government and the powers that be came out and tried something like this, um, I think that a secondary effect that they would absolutely be delighted about is that it would cause a lot of people to lose their faith completely. They'd certainly lose their faith in the incarnation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, but I think a lot of them would just lose their faith in God um, in general and become atheists. So, um, yeah, it's it's just no darn good. And yes, demonic apparitions, they're real too. I don't think Satan is doing this just yet. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure he's got some trump cards he's going to hold. Yes, the world is getting pretty screwed up, but I don't think we're there yet. We've got the we've got the ability to spoof radar, uh, both to disappear from it and to make things appear in different places. Um, if you're more conspiracy minded, there's something called Operation Blue Beam about um, holographic projection. Um, We've, we've got the ability to pull off a lot of these things ourselves. I don't think we need to rely on demons just yet. I, that time is coming, but mm-hmm. we're certainly in a, in, in a phase of mendacity where, you know, yeah. what we're told and what we're told we should believe probably is exactly what we shouldn't believe. Nope. Um, exactly. Then again, if you're looking to the media for something to believe, then you've forgotten about the best-selling book that's been around for 2,000 years, which tells you exactly what you need to believe. Yep. Amen. It's a mess. Well, what else we got? Any more topics? <laughs> I switched uh, tabs, so I don't. I don't have my notes up at the at, at the moment anymore. <laughs> oh dear. I thought you had something else you wanted to talk about. Uh. Mm, oh, let's wrap up with this. Um, sadly, there's been a trading partisan who is you know, publicly basically breaking down and, and in the process of, of apostatizing. And I don't, I don't want to get into it. Um, the, the one thing I would say though, to everybody is very, very sadly, none of this for people who have been, who have known these people and, and, seen seen behind the curtain of all of this um none of this what's going on right now is any surprise at all none this has been coming for not just not just since covid or any of that this has been brewing and festering and you could see this coming for years which is one of the primary reasons that i got away from that crowd um it's very sad Pray, pray for the person involved, pray for their, their family. And 
pray, pray for the priests. Um, it looks like a, a good defense is being mounted of, of the priests in question and the parish in question, um, as if they don't have enough on their plate trying to deal with this corona scam. You know, now they've got something like this. I remember, priests are not at liberty to pipe up, speak up, and defend themselves at, in the same way that lay people are never think that there's not two sides to a story. And if, you know, with what's going on right now with um, children being denied sacraments and things, I mean, do you honestly think that some priest just woke up some morning and said, no, I'm going to decline to give first communion to somebody's kid. I'm going to decline to to baptize a baby just because he, you know, what was he feeling grumpy pants that day? No, guys, you know, there's, there's, all kinds of backstory and there is i'm not going to get into it but there's all kinds of backstory when when something like that happens so um uh, just pray for all parties involved what a what an absolute disaster and again you could see it coming and it's uh i i posted a letter from a correspondent that i thought was very beautiful and it 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 made the point that this, to some extent, can be traced back to the Bergoglian anti-papacy and just, you know, having to hold in your mind that two plus two equals five. And and if if Bergoglio is the vicar of Christ, then how can how can Christ's words in the gospel be true, et cetera, et cetera? Well, it's it's a false-based premise that Bergoglio is the vicar of Christ. And the letter went into that. So we'll put that in the show notes if if anyone wants to read it. It's a very, very charitable take, I thought, on it. And um it's not it's not a complete take on it. And as a uh, super nerd, you said to you said to me, if the, if that were all of it, if the if the Bergoglian anti-papacy were all of it, then like Taylor Marshall would be losing his mind and all these people would be losing their minds too. And and that's not happening. There's a lot more baggage there, a lot more um, in this current situation that's happening right now in late May of 2021 um, in Land, unfortunately. But just just wanted to throw that out, throw that out there and give people things to chew on. And good heavens, if <laughs> if you if you're seeing or reading someone who's literally trying to convince other people to leave the church and leave the faith and and all this and convince convince you that our lord's promises are false etc cetera, etc cetera. just just tune it out just so much of this would have never happened and could have been prevented if people would just get off of social media which i've been railing about for years and years and years i drop kicked twitter in 2014 and I didn't even I didn't even use it the way people use it. I didn't go back and forth. I just used it used it to post microlinks. Um, Facebook is obviously from hell. If you're not off of that yet, you should be. So much of this can be tracked back to that narcissistic, um, just that evil cesspool and, and hellmouth that is social media get off of it get off of it i beg you um, if you're trying to I'm, seek I'm, fulfillment I'm, or belonging through social if, if you're trying to seek fulfillment or belonging through social media that's the problem yeah. there yeah. there can be very legitimate and good uses of them and by the way if you have no idea who ann was referring to 
this is the one time I would say don't look at the show notes because just just pray for the person who just pray in your prayers whoever the heck Ann was talking about and leave it God knows who we're talking about and I don't know what this person's situation is in detail I, I'm sure they're dealing with a lot it's obvious this person is dealing with a lot I don't know the details. It's not my vocation in life to know the details. Um, I This is a person who I muted on Twitter, so I don't even know about what they've been posting. Um, mm-hmm. But I know that we're dealing with, we're dealing, not we, just Ian and me and the people listening. Everybody is dealing with a lot right now. You know, the devil knows his time is short. He's going to make whatever attacks he can. Mm-hmm. And... If you're on social media and and yeah, there's going to be attacks that way. Don't don't wrestle with pigs if you're on social media. That's that's yeah. a great way to waste time. And and if that's the only thing that happens because you're on social media, then um, again, referring to something I've heard from a priest, you know, Satan has his plans for the pious. If if there's a mm-hmm. if there's a young man who who is marked for the priesthood, Satan knows it too. And he's going yep. to bring along uh, in, in this young man's mind uh, a pious young woman who uh, he could possibly marry and have a large family with. And they could all save their souls. And only he, his wife, and his possibly 12 kids will go to heaven, as opposed to the thousand people he could have brought to heaven as a priest. Satan knows this, especially people who have a voice, um, who have done good or done well. Would set aside the grammar for a minute. That's not the point. And and we all know examples of people who have done well uh, in, in reaching people uh, in, in through traditional Catholic media, um, and then turn out to have other foibles or skeletons or other problems. Mm-hmm. We could dwell on the negatives all day long and condemn everybody, or we could say, yes, there are some issues that, brother, if I could help you, I would. And and or sister, as the case may be, um, and and help you get over that. Um, if I was local to you, I'd, I'd help you more directly. But embrace the good they're doing, help them get over the evil they're dealing with. And we we all have demons we're we're dealing with. We all we've all got guardian angels, and you can be absolutely certain Satan has assigned the counterparty to your guardian angel. And in oh, some yeah. cases. Maybe a legion. Yeah. Especially if you're wearing a Roman collar, especially if you've been involved with uh, orders and, and uh, traditional orders or anything else or, or, or doing a, a traditional Catholic apostolate. You're not alone, and I don't mean that in a good sense. There, yeah. There is a legion after you. We all need prayers. What's the saying? They Like in, in exorcisms, um, it, demons have said if you could see how many of us there are we would blot out we would black out the sun and it's true i mean i i <laughs> circling back just very momentarily to questions of you know cosmology and you know universal scope and things like that thomas aquinas teaches that every star has a guardian angel well that puts that puts at minimum the number of angels into like the quintillions. And if a third of them fell, I mean, you do the math here, okay? 
I, I think that the demons are not exaggerating when they say, if you could see how many of us there are, we would blot out the sun. Um, I think that's 100% correct. Um, and I think we're at the general judgment, we're all going to be super freaked out when we see and realize um, how surrounded we were and just the battle that was going on around us at all times. Um, you know, what our guardian angel was doing, what the saints were doing to protect us, what, um, you know, what St. Michael was doing to protect us and on and on and on. And, and this, this invisible war that we're just, you know, we're tootling around mostly oblivious to all of this stuff that's going on. And it's just swirling around all of us at all times, which, um, goes to the point that good, good grief, whatever you do, don't, don't remove yourself from the sacraments. Go to mass, go to confession, pray the rosary, never, ever, ever voluntarily remove yourself from that. Because if you do that, you're just making it worse. You're just making it worse. And th the other thing to remember, a little pep talk, there's, there's this notion out there that everybody needs to be, you know, like best friends with the priests and everyone needs to be hanging around in the sacristy and everybody needs to be quote unquote active in the parish. You know, one of the, one of the real big benefits of Catholicism is that you don't have to do that. You can walk into mass, hear mass, walk out. You don't have to talk to anybody. You are not obligated to do anything. You're not obligated to put money in the collection plate even. Um, in a certain sense, yeah, you are, to a certain, you are to a certain, yeah. you, to, you, you yeah, are obliged yeah, I mean, to help with the, up, the upkeep of the church. You're obliged to help with the upkeep of the church. You're not obliged to just, it's kind of a, a I, I think it's kind of a Protestant thing where you just thinking that you have to be, you know, active, active, active. You don't, you don't have to, you don't have to do anything. Um, and so this notion that, that you do you can you can keep priests at arm's length. That's fine. You don't need to be best friends with the priests and they don't need to be best friends with you. I know that sounds kind of weird and kind of harsh, but it's the truth. You're, there's there's no obligation for anything like that. It, it's hilarious to me to hear that that you're talking about the, the the Protestant notion of having to be involved in everything because the the phrase that came to mind when you're talking about, as a Catholic, we we don't need to be in, involved with the rest of the parish. We just go to mass and go home. And I was going to say, it's almost like all that's really necessary is a personal relationship with Jesus. And then you contrast wow. this <laughs> to the Protestant way of thinking about things. Like, yep. that's very, very curious. <laughs> Isn't that something? Isn't that something? But, I mean, it's, it's the truth. It's... <laughs> And when you walk into the church and you hear Mass, remember, you're never alone. You've got the church triumphant. You have the entire, all of the saints, all of the angels, everybody's there with you. So the whole notion of I'm alone and I'm detached, well, if you've got a good prayer life, if you're praying the rosary, no, that's that's not true. You're not alone and you don't feel like you're alone. But you don't have to be just up and up in everybody's business and up in the priest's business or anything. 
Uh, you mentioned the church triumphant as as being there when you're at church, but don't forget the church suffering. There's also there there have been stories where um, oh, yes. the mm. the priest locking up um, locking up the church in the evening, he's he's going out uh, to to lock the the front doors, and the church seems empty. He comes back and it's like the church is full. And there's it's a couple of apocryphal references on on this where where the priest comes back in. And it's like wait, where did all these people come from? And he looks closer and it's like wait, these this isn't the current fashion that these people are all wearing. And he says, Hey, I need to lock up. You guys need to go. And they don't say anything to him. They just look at him. He goes back in the sacristy to, to arrange a few things, comes back out and they're gone. And he mm-hmm. locked the door before he went back to the sacristy. Where are they? And the, the, the suggestion being, these are the poor souls, the church mm-hmm. suffering. They are, they do get to visit. <laughs> they, they, they can't merit for themselves. Mm-hmm. That's that's the that's the tragedy for them, but it's the honor for us that we get to merit for them, and mm-hmm. they will never forget us. I mean, if if you can offer up whatever you're going through in life, whether it's a crisis of faith or you stubbed your toe, offer this up for poor souls in purgatory or even people here on earth for their conversion. Um, the poor souls in purgatory, if you offer something up that gets them out of purgatory, they will never forget you. They will never yep. forget you. You will have an advocate who sees God face to face. Yep. Uh, what a what a gift the faith is. What a gift the church is. And it's sad to see people turn their backs on it. It's such a waste. It's just talk about the ultimate bad move. It's the ultimate bad move. Just don't do that and don't... Uh, for, for goodness sake, don't follow anybody into that. And once again, Anne's life advice number 14, get off of social media. It's so toxic. Well, and you didn't name any names in this, but I will name one, and that's Rod Dreher. Mm-hmm. And the reason I'm uh, going to yeah. name Ooh. him is because he didn't just have a crisis of faith. He left the church. Yeah. Yep. Went, went Eastern Orthodox and is trying to get as many people to follow him out of the Catholic Church into Eastern Orthodoxy as possible. How and it's, it's not good. How stupid do you have to be to do that? And yeah. this is somebody who really ought to know better. Yep. I got my feelings hurt. I'm leaving. <laughs> Ridiculous. Ridiculous. Yeah, don't blaming do that. our Lord for other for uh, what other people do. You know, I've said this for years and years and years. Ever since I first converted, once you realize what the church is and what the truth is, you could tell me that every other person in the Catholic Church was a child molester, and I wouldn't leave. I'd still be a Catholic because our Lord is our Lord, and His Holy Church is His Holy Church. And if it goes if it goes so far south that I'm the only one left who isn't a child molester, I'm not leaving. <laughs> two plus two still equals four. I'm not leaving. It has nothing to do with other people and what other people do. Zero. It's about him. And if you do not have a personal relationship with him, I yeah, you and that's a lot of the problem with the current events that are going on. It's, it's a social club. It's a philosophy. It's, you know, a quasi political thing for some people, any of those dynamics, if that's your primary dynamic with regards, with regards to the, to the church, you're, 
you're walking on extraordinarily thin ice. It has to be a personal relationship with God. Well, and think about what it means to have a personal relationship with anybody. You get to know about them, what what they've gone through, what is what is important to them. And I men- I've mentioned before that uh, something I, I, I've tried to make an annual habit is, is reading the Anne Catherine Emmerich um, Dolores Passion every year during Lent. Yes. And the description of what Christ went through in the just in the Garden of Gethsemane of yep. of the temptation of you are taking upon yourself all of the sins of the world. Why would you do that? Yeah, love. And and then and then for anybody who's having a crisis of faith, look at Jesus on the cross for crying out loud. Yeah. What you're yep. going through right now, no matter how unfair even if it is objectively unfair what you're going through, mm-hmm. you don't compare. Nope. You don't compare, and he's he's already gone through it so that you could have that connection and you could you could relate to him. Even your sufferings. He's gone through it are, for you. For you. <laughs> personally. Yeah. You, you've done it to him. You've been the one who's been committing every conceivable injustice against him. And he still loves you infinitely. And he still went to the cross for you. And he still would do it as many times as you go to mass in your life and more, which is why we go to mass as often as we possibly can. It's why you go. That's why there is the third commandment. It's why you roll in on Sundays at minimum is because he would do it for you as many times and for you alone as many times as as you go to mass and he is consoled by your presence now stop put that in your pipe and smoke it god almighty is consoled by your real presence man Again, but it's sad I think when when it's all just a philosophy and it's all just a social social construct um yeah you're you're not going to come to those conclusions and you're certainly not going to come to the to the kind of life-altering conclusions when you realize that we are talking about infinite love here and the only the only thing that makes any sense is infinite personal love so yeah yeah and if you're in the camp where you're tempted by what rod dreyer did leaving the church and going to the orthodox Look at the crucifix. Look at the crucifix. Yep. Jesus went through this for you specifically. And one one of the meditations I've had in the past is what if what if in history I was the first person to have sinned? Everybody else is still in, in original justice. I'm the first idiot who sinned. And Christ came to be crucified for me, but because I'm the only sinner, I have to be the one to crucify him. Mm-hmm. knowing what I'm doing and this is my only path to salvation and even still having sorrow for my sins already. But Christ is like, no, you've got to do this all the way because that's my love for you. Mm. That's it's interesting. You say that. Cause I think if, if you watch the passion of the Christ, um, the Mel Gibson movie, Gibson, the scene where our Lord is nailed to the cross, that, uh, 
the hand that is holding the hammer and comes down on the nail, that's Gibson himself. And he very intentionally wanted to do that. So speaking of which, I think somebody, who was it? Oh, Father Nix saw him and had dinner with him. And apparently he's doing better. I always worry about Mel Gibson. He's got a, he, str he has struggled in the past in his life with alcohol, to put it mildly. And so well, he's a, he's a he's a target. I mentioned um, yep. I mentioned yep. Rod Dreher by by name. I mean, he's he's somebody who I, I think had honestly I I didn't know about him until he went um, Orthodox, but I think he had a following of some sort before he went that way. Um, I think so too. Yeah, I think anybody who does good was it, that's the that's the saying of Saint Vincent de Paul. It is rare that somebody does good without uh, encountering evil or resistance. Which I think mm -hmm. was his, he must have been British in spirit because that's an understatement way of saying nobody does good without encountering resistance and evil. Yep. So, prayers all around, folks. Yep. Well, what do you think? Shall we wrap it up? Yeah, I was going to say this sounds kind of dour, but actually it, it it's way more hopeful and, and, and positive than... <laughs> way we typically wrap up the podcast i mean yeah. it's it, it's, it, it's negative in a sense but at the same time when you keep your eyes on the eternal it there the, the ending is already determined it's mm -hmm. just up to us to say do we want to be on the on the winning side or not it yep. really it really comes down to being that simple do i want to be on christ's side or not yep. and forget all the all the noise that we're going to hear between now and and uh, our judgment um, it doesn't matter what the human, the meat bags around us, what, what they say in judgment. It's what, what matters is what God says to us in judgment. So that's right. Don't be scandalized. Remember the, the man who, the man who commits scandal commits murder. The person who permits themselves to be scandalized commits suicide. So you got to be on your guard. Yeah. Okay. I'm ready to wrap up now. All right, let's do it. The email address of the podcast where you can send feedback, comments, suggestions, or other good news items or happy, positive ways of wrapping up the podcast is the email address is podcast at barnhart.biz. Anne expresses her profound gratitude to all of her benefactors, and at least one Mass is said every single day, plus at least one traditional Catholic Latin Requiem Mass for everybody who died in the previous week. Please. Mm -hmm. Please join your your prayers with these priests. I mentioned just finished mentioning that uh, Satan yeah. has got his plans for the pious. He's taken out effectively for the moment, at least. People like uh, Rod Dreher, uh, he's he, he's not going to be satisfied with that. He wants to take out a lot more. The priests yeah. are on that list too, and whether it's yep. priests who are getting canceled by their bishops or um, priests who are giving up. I mean, that happens too. Mm -hmm. Pray for the mm -hmm. priests because without them, we really don't have a chance. I mean, our only our only uh, option at that point is um, making perfect contrition. And perfect contrition has to be perfect, as in perfect. And that's not easy. That's why it's called perfect. Super nerds, you, your analogy explaining that, really good. It's uh, like there's one person who rode the twin towers down who are above where the airplanes sit. There's one person who rode them down and survived. That's kind of what, what it would be like. Do, do you really want to take that chance? Do you want those odds? Because it's probably as, 
as unlikely as surviving riding the Twin Towers down than than making it without the church. I mean, the church is God's God's gift to mankind, and to just throw that gift back in his face and 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 not avail yourself of it that is just it's basic it's borderline suicidal actually those odds are awesome in comparison i mean that was one person right. out of 303333 who died that's way better than trusting your own ability against eternity yep, yep. so pray for the priests because otherwise you have to trust on your own abilities against eternity yep the Barnhart Podcast is a production of Superdure Media. On that happy note, um, if you found something of value in this or previous episodes and would like to return some value, please visit supernerdmedia.com to learn more. And I'd like to return to recognize a few donors since the last podcast via the Postal Service. James, no Rick James, just James, uh, via, pay, <laughs> via PayPal, uh, Thomas, <laughs> Laura, and Laura. And it is the same Laura twice. Uh, Laura is actually a uh, monthly sustainer, and she sent a second um, a donation again with a note. Thank you, Super Nerd and Super Mommy. Well, you're welcome. Aww. <laughs> uh, Ethel Lowe. I think it's Lowe. I'm not entirely sure because that's just the only name that came across. Uh, Jeffrey and Kenneth. And also via Amazon, somebody that had the name Anon. I think that means they don't want to be recognized beyond that. And Charlotte, Anon who said, on. yeah, and Anonazon. <laughs> yes, Anonazon <laughs> donation via Amazon. And uh, Charlotte, who says, thank you for the Barnhart podcast. I enjoy listening and learning. And via Bitcoin, nobody since January 5th. And I did double check that <laughs> before the podcast. <laughs> uh, and well, I'll thank you- heavens, because you would have lost half of it anyway. So. <laughs> Well, that's that's a separate podcast. The whole idea yes. of, of uh, that's a financial Friday, isn't it? <laughs> well, it is Friday, but uh, yeah. It last I heard, uh, see, Bitcoin had gone up to as far as sixty thousand, and it was down below forty thousand last I checked. Yeah, stability is what marks a good currency, and um, yeah, yeah, it's, volatility it's, is a sign of disorder, friends. Yeah. It's not. Or it's Wall not Street. good. <laughs> okay, I'll let you wrap up with Matthew seventeen twenty. Matthew 17, 20, continuing in all hope and optimism. I was telling somebody just just the other day, today might be the last day of the Bergolian anti-papacy. Tomorrow might be the day when it all resolves. And it is going to resolve. It's going to resolve someday. And I'm I am thoroughly hopeful and optimistic. So Matthew 17, 20 intention. Fast and pray without fast twice a week if you can, and um, pray without ceasing. Our fourfold intention that Bergoglio be publi- publicly recognized and removed as anti-pope, and the whole thing be nullified. That Pope Benedict Ratzinger be publicly recognized as having been the one and only living pope since April of 2005. That Bergoglio repent, revert to Catholicism, die in a state of grace in the fullness of time, not rooting for anyone's death and someday achieve the beatific vision, and likewise for Pope Benedict, that he repent of anything he might need to repent of, that he die in the state of grace in the fullness of time, and also someday achieve the beatific vision. Nothing less will do. Our Lady, undoer of knots, pray for us. Amen. And in terms of having absolute confidence that at some point things will be resolved, I've got Mm -hmm. to throw a Star Wars reference in. Did you ever see the movie Rogue One? No. Okay, there's a character in there called Chirrut Emway. He's a, a disciple of the Force, basically. 
and and he has absolute faith in the force is going to solve things at some point he dies but the point is that uh eventually luke skywalker does kind of settle things that's not that's a very very imperfect analogy of what we're talking about here um yes at some point the mess in rome will be settled whether we're here to see it or not does not matter we do our part now we pray we trust in god and we go on And if God willing, we will record another day. Yes, sir. And until then, I am Super Nerd. And I'm Ann. Thanks, guys. God bless. And in the end, her immaculate heart will triumph.